My name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome everybody who's uh, streaming with us on- online, which uh, I found out recently is a lot more than we expected. So I feel a little awkward about that because uh, I don't know who you all are. So, uh, but I'm excited. I'm so grateful that you're here. Uh, nothing like opening Sunday morning service with a little Tupac. So I just thought, I just thought that would be so incredibly appropriate for uh, the finale of our series. We're in right now called Melodia. And if you're brand new with us, uh, the, the entire idea of the series has been all around the one another verses in the Bible, the ways that we love one another, that we care for one another, and often how difficult that is. And so we talked about how everyone has a different uh, melodia, a different melody or worldview that comes from how they were raised and what they believe and all those kinds of things. And that oftentimes in a community the size of ours, or even in, a, in, in our, just our homes, we can come across people with completely different melodias than us. And how are we supposed to interact with them and, and love them and show Christ to them? So every week we played a completely different genre of music that uh, we then ask people, and I'll go ahead and ask right now, how many people in the room you heard this and you were like, that is definitely my jam right there. I, yeah, yeah. I think I heard somebody over my, uh, over my shoulder rapping the song. So I don't know who knows it over here, but, but uh, good for you. And how many people are like, once again, why did we just play that? That's not my jam. Good. Okay. And that's the point. And here's what's so beautiful is that we can all sit in the same church. We can see things differently. And yet, we're not always about the same style, the same approach, the same. Even, even some of us are uh, struggling with theology and what it really means to be a Christian. I've had a lot of people approach this pandemic from a theological standpoint that has caused them to land in a completely different camp than other people they respect spiritually. Which just, the, the cognitive dissonance in that is just profound, because you're like, but I love this person, but clearly they don't understand what's going on in the world, or apparently the Bible. And it's, it's amazing to see the, the disconnect and the, the difficulty, and so uh, that is what the series has been about, and today is the last one. Then we will move into our uh, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter. We're excited to announce this will be the very first 
I'm pretty for sure uh, Easter at Kesson in our own buildings, which now we have a second building over in Columbia across from the high school. So how beautiful is that? Uh, I'm, I feel confident about this one. I think we announced uh, three Easter's ago we'd have our very first Easter in our own building. Two of those, the construction project wasn't done, and then the last one, the, the pandemic punched me right in the mouth. So, uh, <laughs> so this one, though, I think, you know, <laughs> I think we're going to be able to have Easter uh, in, in our building. So uh, we'll have more information in that, and you saw that in the announcements. But So let me get to today's song, give you a little bit of a... A little bit of background. The song is called Ghetto Gospel. It's a song by rapper Tupac Shakur, which was released as the lead single from his 2004 posthumous album, Loyal to the Game. The song was produced by rapper Eminem and samples the 1971 Elton John song, Indian Sunset. The single topped the charts in the United Kingdom for three weeks, as well as Australia, Czech Republic, and the Republic of Ireland. The song was written by Tupac as an outcry to, quote, end the war on the streets, end quote, addressing the futility of racial difference and dissidence, particularly under the unifying banner of poverty. The song's a cry for unity and togetherness. In response to Eminem's remix, Elton John said, how he's managed to meld Indian Sunset with Tupac, I'll never know. It's just genius. Now, we don't just play stuff here for no reason. We play it in order to, to hopefully open up a discussion that, that I think we all need to be having. Every single week we've done that, and this week is no different. Now, clearly, these two artists are from radically different melodias. I'm not sure you could uh, actually have different melodias in terms of worldview, uh, lifestyle, background, experiences, everything else, generational, than these two people. But let me just ask in a room just like this, take the song out of it. How many people just huge Tupac fans? Raise your hand, no judgment. Okay. And how many people huge Elton John fans? Raise your hand, no judgment. Okay. And yet, when I put the songs together, I didn't get quite as many uh, hands for either as I just got for the individual. And that's because anytime we start wrapping melodias together, anytime we start putting spaces together where people can, can ask hard questions, where people can bring their music without bringing any sort of a restriction around how they view life or how they want to live or who they want to be, anytime we do that, there's a danger that they actually don't fit with really anybody. That all of a sudden they become sort of something new and different that people don't really know what to do with. But that is ultimately what church is about. Church like this, especially a community like this, is about people starting to join uh, the movement that God has in mind, the melodia that we're going to talk about today, that I'm going to call an eternal melodia, and a melodia above all melodias that you get to still bring your experiences from the streets or your experience behind the piano. You get to bring who you are and what you're about and within that, create something different than you were by yourself. This is what I want to speak about just a little bit today. Regarding that song, what I found fascinating as I was uh, choosing it along with, uh, you know, the process to be the very last song of our series was how two radically different genres of music could be brought together to make something new that could not be what it was without the other. There is a picture of that in the Bible that I think is is huge and significant for us as we wrap up this series. It's a picture of a melodia above all melodias, as I said, and I'm going to give it to you. It's in Revelation 4.8, and it's, 
this vision that the Apostle John has. And this is what he says. He says, And the four living creatures, this is in the throne room of God, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, and then it has this phrase, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This, this concept of what John saw inside the throne room is important for us, and that's where we're going to start. That's where we're going to pause. Because this melodia, this melody that's being sang for eternity, that's still sang right now, is significant and important for us to ask ourselves as we think about our own worldview, as we think about the, the music our own life makes. This is a picture of the music in heaven, and it's important that you unpack this just a little bit so that you can allow it to seep into your melodia without losing any parts of who you are. It's just something important because it's a part of what Scripture says is happening still today. This phrase, holy, 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 appears only twice in the Bible like this. Once in the Old Testament and once in the New, the New being the one I just read just now. Both times the phrase is spoken or sung by heavenly creatures, and both times it occurs in the vision of a man who is transported or given insight into the throne room of God. In the New Testament, that's what we just read, it's the Apostle John who has the vision. In the Old Testament, it's the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 6.3 has the vision. And Isaiah is epic. It's one of my, my favorite prophets in the Bible. It's, it, there's so much about Isaiah that I connect with. He's the one who, who says, though I was red as crimson, once I was in your presence, you made me you know, white as freshly fallen snow, I paraphrase. It's this beautiful picture of, of, of who we are in contrast to who God is and yet what God's relationship does for us. So you've got Isaiah and you've got John. These are the two people that get to experience that melodia in heaven. Now, what's important to realize first is the threefold repetition of God's holiness has great meaning. It's not just rhythmic. It's not just like, well, we'll say it three times. It's deep, it's theological, and it's important. The phrase, holy, 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 actually has its own name, its own definition. It's called a trihagion. And it's important because it's highlighting something very, very important within Jewish culture that, that we don't really pull forward much in our own. In Jewish culture, the repetition of a name or an expression three times was incredibly common among the Jews. Therefore, when the angels around the th throne room are calling and crying to one another, holy, 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 they are expressing to all of the readers of this age with force and passion the truth of the supreme holiness of God, that essential characteristic which expresses his awesome and majestic nature. They are proclaiming it. Not, he's not holy. He's holy, holy. He's not just holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. And when you say something three times, in the Jewish culture, and that is a written letter, that is something that is being put out there, people stop in this culture and they go, okay, there's something significant happening here. But it's even got a meaning below the meaning. In addition, the trihagion expresses the triune nature of God, the three persons of the Godhead, each equal in holiness and majesty, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You may have seen this cheesy church image. This is how they try to teach you uh, uh, how... how uh, the, the trinity of the Lord works. So you've got the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they are all God. Uh, we know God as God the Father. Jesus is, of course, here, and the Holy Spirit is who we interact with right now. None of them is the other, and yet they are all God. It's a cheesy picture, but it works pretty good, doesn't it, overall? Now, 
because we always use Scripture to, to uh, you know, explain Scripture. You take the holy, holy, holy. You take that trihagion and you place it over the image that has been used for centuries to explain the, the way that our God is built. And suddenly you see that what those angels are proclaiming is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Suddenly, it becomes something deeper and richer. Now, why is that important? Now, this isn't a lesson on, on having a, a Trinitarian view of God. That's not what I'm here to do. But I will tell you something profound that happened to me about five years ago when a seminary professor started attending our church uh, and didn't tell me he was a seminary professor. Those are the best ones. They just show up and hang out and judge from the background. But he had incredible love for God and for some reason... Uh, Ended up becoming an elder here before he passed away just recently. And his name was Dr. Larry Shelton. And Larry would take me to coffee and not ask me any questions, which made me really uncomfortable. Because most of my coffees are people trying to dig in, figure out who I am, what the church is about, and basically evaluate whether or not they're going to keep going here once they find out if I'm really the clown they think I am. <laughs> and Larry just would go to coffee and just listen to me. So finally I was like, Larry, why are you at this church? And he said, oh, I'm... I'm not sure yet. I just feel like this is where God wants me to be. And at this time, this was a church plant from scratch. We were only five. Oh, man. When he started going, we were two, two years old. By the time I figured out who he was, we were like three and a half. And I finally said, yeah, but why? And he goes, well, because of the love of God. And I said, well, tell me more about that. And he goes, you, you want to know about the love of God? And I go, yeah. I thought it would be this really grandfatherly, loving, like, like really beautiful thing. And he goes, no. He goes, here's what you have to understand about God and his love and this picture. He goes, all other belief systems, and Larry had like doctorates in all of this. He said, all other belief systems have this being that decides to be benevolent and create creatures who then after he creates them says, now I'm going to love you. I'm going to bestow love upon you. He goes, but our God is different. See, our God exists as three in one, and between them, they love each other. And from this loving union, from this place of love, we were created. Meaning when it comes to our God and who he is, love predates our creation. We were created out of love. He didn't create us and then love us. We were created because he is love. So Danny, I'm at Kesed because that's how God loves me. And I don't need to be at a comfortable place or a place where I get more or a place where I get maybe the respect I deserve. I'm at Kesed because God has asked me to be here and I love him back in return. Holy, holy holy. It's proclaiming this love that predates any of us. And it's proclaiming the essence of who God is. And he himself says, I am love. This is who we serve. This is what we are, are trying to create on this world, a place where people can come and experience not a performance or an eloquent speech or even community or friendship, a place where people can come and walk in and go, I feel like there's love already here. I haven't even done anything. I haven't even shared anything. I haven't even repented yet. And yet I am, I am trapped and overwhelmed by this love. This, and that's where the word comes from, the definition of our church is chesed. Okay, it's not, we done, didn't spell it how they wanted us to because it looked like cheesed. And I knew none of, you would, none of you would go to cheese church. So I changed the name. We changed the spelling. It's like C-H-E-E-S-E-D or C-H-E-S-E-D depending on your transliteration. But the point is, that we, that chesed love, that, that undeniable love, that love that predates my actions, my repentance, my, my story, the beauty of how disciplined I can be for Jesus, all of that stuff, I hope 
passes out of the way and is exchanged for just a love that says you are valuable because God loves you and you are here because God has brought you. I've said this before, if God has invited you to leave and be a part of another church community, what a shame it is that you're here and not serving there. And if you wish you could leave Kesed, but God has decided to, to force you to stay here, what a shame it is that you would not listen to him and help out and be a part because we need it. What a shame. Basically, it's just a sermon on shame right now so far, but it's going to get better. It's going to get better, I promise. Okay, so here's what's important. Here's what's important to understand if we want to dig into this love piece and understand how it impacts my melodia and yours. What's really important is to understand God's holiness. I'll put this on the screen. The holiness of God is the most difficult of all God's attributes to explain. So there is no way in the next five to seven minutes I'm going to knock this out and you're going to be like, got it. But I want you to understand it's still worth talking about, especially since it is sort of the eternal melodia, the song that is mostly sang in heaven. It's difficult to explain partly because it is one of his essential attributes, God's essential attributes, that is not shared inherently with me or with you. Now, the Bible says clearly that we as men and women are created in God's image, and we can share many of his attributes to a much lesser extent than God, but still we have these things as part of us. They're woven into us, things like love, mercy, faithfulness, giving, generosity. These are all very godly attributes. But some of God's attributes, his attributes like is his omniscience, Okay, he knows all things, his omnipresence, he is, all, he is everywhere, and his omnipotence will never be shared by created beings. Those are not attributes of humanity. Similarly, holiness is not something that we will possess as an inherent part of our nature, and yet it's not ungraspable. So it's a really unique attribute and a really unique thing to talk about because some of these things we, are, we have, humans have this innate ability to love. They, they have this innate ability to give. They, they, that's why sometimes you can take the most broken person and give them, get them in front of a specific commercial that strikes them in a right way, and they're like, oh, that was powerful. Because it speaks to this thing that's woven into them. And yet there's another group of things that we will never have. Holiness lies somewhere in the middle, and it has a reason for doing that. This is because we only become holy in relationship to Christ. This is how this idea becomes part of our story. It is what is called an imputed holiness, meaning only in Christ do we become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, listen to the last sentence, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might grasp or have grasped the holiness within our lives so that it can become something that is real and evident and tangible. God's holiness, this peace that is given to us through Jesus, is what separates him from all other beings, what makes him separate and distinct from everyone else. God's holiness is more than just his perfection or sinless purity. It is the essence of his otherness. It is the thing that transcends him above all. God's holiness embodies the mysteries of his awesomeness and causes us to gaze and wonder at him as we begin to comprehend just a little of his majesty. This is just a, a, a three-minute nutshell of God's holiness. It, is, it sits somewhere in the middle between the things we have and the things we don't have, and it is grasped, I mean fully held, bear-hugged through the person of Jesus Christ 
when we accept him as Lord and Savior. This is the story of the cross. This is the story of the gospel. This is the story of people who are transformed from old creatures to new creatures. This is what being born again meant. It's being, it's living without this holiness. By the way, holiness doesn't mean value. It's important that I say that. If you're not saved, it doesn't mean you're not valuable. It doesn't mean your melody is not, not worthy. It simply means that your life is all about you. And when you enter into this relationship through the cross of Christ, through the death of Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ, through the story of Christ, the person of Christ, all things Christ, and you suddenly realize he's like, hey, I'm a door that if you knock, you can walk through and be something completely different. And I'll take all of you. And I'll change all of you. <laughs> like when you're like, wait, you want all of me? And, and you want to change all of me? Yeah. You can bring you to the story and I'll bring me to the story and we will together create a whole new song. And People from your old story might be like, eh, it doesn't seem really that, you know. And, and maybe, maybe angelic creatures are like, eh, I mean, we've heard better. But those of us who get it, who can come from the streets and sit down at the piano, those of us who can create something new, which I believe is what God is doing with creation and with children and with us, he is creating new creatures and new melodias that allow people to bring their stories into the space so that he can accept all of them and change all of them, and I realize it's all kinds of mind warping, and I don't care. This is being born again. It's, I mean, it's so confusing. There's a guy in the Bible who's like, you want me to get back in my mother's womb and come back out? I would have loved to have seen Jesus' face at that point if he was like, I want to thank, just, I don't think it's a scripture, but I want to think Jesus was funny because he invented humor, and he was like, yeah, I was hoping Tuesday we could do that. <laughs> I already talked to your mom. She's good to go. So, uh, I'll see you Tuesday. I think that'd be, that's just, that's all extra biblical. And, and, uh, and, but I, I just, I think it'd be funny, right, just to see the guy's face like, okay, I mean, if that's what you want. But, but, but so here's the thing. So let's, let's look at these two. Let's look at these two examples, okay? The two examples where holy, holy, holy is given. Let's look at two because what's important, I told you, Scripture translates Scripture. So it's not Danny. It's not some commentary. It's scripture translating scripture. So everything I say here today should be judged, should be picked apart. You can disagree with the stuff you want to. You can be blessed by the stuff the Holy Spirit gives you. But what's important is not just to go, okay, I think I got a grasp of God's holiness. I think I got an idea of, of, of what it means that, that holiness is something that's, that God wants for me, but I don't have. And I think I, I understand the importance of it, but there's so much more to it because Danny just said he can't do the whole thing in 10 minutes. It's such a hard thing to understand. So let's just look at the two experiences. The first one, as I said, was with Isaiah, and it's in the Old Testament. Even though Isaiah was a prophet of God and a righteous man, his reaction, when you read it, to the vision of God he had was first and foremost to be aware of his own sinfulness and to despair for his life. It says that Isaiah fell to the ground in great fear when he entered the throne room of God and saw the creatures and heard the melodia. The, the, the entire experience dropped him to the ground. And this lines up with lots of what Isaiah said in the Old Testament. All the stuff about crimson being turned to snow. All that beautiful stuff lines up with this picture in the Old Testament of this man being transported into this experience so that he could relate to us something really important. And he shares it in this beautiful way and it sort of describes in great detail the angels and, and, and just all that he saw. And you get this idea that even the angels in God's presence covered their faces and feet 
with four of their six wings. For they were concealing as much as possible in recognition of their unworthiness in the presence of the Holy One. And you get this really, really deep and rich picture. And you start to ask questions like, if the pure and holy seraphim exhibit such reverence in the presence of the Lord, with what profound awe should we as polluted and sinful crimson creatures presume to draw near to him? The reverence shown to God by the angels is meant to remind us in this Old Testament picture of our own presumption when we rush thoughtlessly and irreverently into his presence. And, and this is so important. So many times people take scripture, they read a context of scripture, and they don't expand it into the rest of the Bible. So people read this, and they end up locking in. There's entire denominations built around just this spiritual picture right here, which is God on a throne and me face down before him and angels proclaiming his holiness and me feeling exposed because of the sin that I've now suddenly realized is all around me. And, and it's like this incredible, powerful thing. And then people read it and they go, that's how God is. That's how he sees you. And that's how your life is to be lived on your face before God. Just frankly, hoping he doesn't kill you because he knows every sinful thought you've just had. And then you wake up, you see something, someone cut you off, you think something and you're like, there I go. There's God ready to kill me again. I have got to get this thing refined. I've got to get this thing better. I've got to attend more services. I've got to get in a Bible study. I've got to figure out how to make sure I never cuss, even when I hit my finger with a hammer. I've got to figure out how to be different, transformed. Otherwise, God might strike me dead. There's a ton of belief systems out there like this. There's a ton of churches within our own town, God bless them, that are still teaching this. And the whole idea is that you will never be enough because of this incredible God that we serve. That's where images like this come from. I didn't draw this. You might have wondered. I also don't understand, except on Sunday, why they have God in a wheelchair. I'm not sure what that's about. I don't know. I don't know what's happening there, but I didn't draw this. But it's easy to find this kind of stuff because so many people then basically say, now God has empowered me to be his messenger and to make sure you know that you're lucky God doesn't kill you right now. And I have great power and authority because I have a microphone and I'm sitting on a stage 32 inches above the ground, which is as tall as we could get it legally in this building. <laughs> and you're supposed to listen because of the authority of God that's ready to judge you at any moment. And the story in Isaiah does really just kind of wrap up that way. And you're like, well, it's in the Bible. Must be true. And you forget to listen to the other side of the song. It's like cutting Elton out altogether. Or cutting Tupac out altogether. You just hear one side and you're like, well, that's the music. Clearly, that's what God wants to do in this world. And then, out of nowhere, comes John. And John's in the New Testament. And John spent time with the actual person of Jesus. And then in the end, he is the longest living apostle. He starts to have these visions and he writes this book called Revelation. It's the last book in scripture. It's kind of the final word on what Jesus did and what Jesus came to do. And it says that John also saw this powerful vision. He saw this incredible throne room that was on, that was all around him. He saw the same creatures giving glory and honor and reverence to God, continually proclaiming the same thing. Interestingly though, John's reaction to the vision of God in his throne room is different than Isaiah's. 
Again, these are the only two accounts where this, this happens. With the holy, 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 with the seraphim, with the, the whole thing. Same, same God in a wheelchair, apparently. But his is different. In that, it says when he enters the throne room, he doesn't fall down. He's just wrapped up in it. And you've got to stop and be like, whoa, what changed? Like Isaiah did this. Same God, same song, same story. And then John just rolls in like, what's up? I'm here. What changed is what happened at the beginning of John's vision. Because at the beginning of John's vision, he gets a different picture, a different, a different version of how heaven operates now that Jesus has come, sacrificed on the cross, and the gospel is put in place. This is John's intro before the throne room, before he walks in there standing before God. Revelations 1, 12 through 18. Listen to his definition of this space and the person he meets. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, which was Jesus. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Let me go ahead and uh, open up my Bible to that part of the passage, because that's important. And in the midst of the lampstands, one son, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. So right away, you're like, this is legit. It's Jesus. And he's going to be like, what's up, John? Like, you remember me? I made you fish that one day, and we had fun together. And John ran to Jesus, and everything was great. Not quite. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars from his mouth, came a sharp sword, sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So he sees a Jesus he has never seen before. And it's this beautiful allegory of the power and the majesty and the full presence of God in Jesus. Because you had Jesus on earth, Jesus who became human, Jesus who was that part. You've got the Holy Spirit who landed on it as a dove. You've got the Father who's the voice saying, John experienced all that. But he never saw Jesus with like the mantle of the full trinity. And he sees Jesus and it is all heaven, all God. It is all there. And he realizes this is different than I realize. And it's this powerful, powerful, powerful picture. And so verse 17 says that he, like Isaiah, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I died. Which, by the way, we're going to do a baptism in like a month. Baptism is the symbol of dying, going under the water, going under and coming up brand new. John dies, right? But he, Jesus, laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. So John enters heaven like Isaiah, the same. He encounters Christ, the person, the, the full Trinitarian version of Christ, and he sees all his power and he dies like Isaiah. And then Jesus comes in and he lays his hand on him, and he says, don't be afraid anymore. Because through me and through the relationship you have with me, John, through me, you can enter the throne room. You can, drag it back to Jewish culture, enter the Holy of Holies. The veil has been torn between those who are allowed and those who are not. The melodias have been combined, and those distant melodias, 
they're not like this rough person with this holy person or this, this person who's uh, with this person who's doing pretty good. It's humanity's broken song <laughs> through Jesus combined <laughs> with the holy, holy, holy presence of God. And suddenly John can enter the throne room and experience the entire melodia of creation being sang as part of it, not because he did something, not because he was refined enough, not because he had all the theology right, not because he frankly was or wasn't, but because Jesus said, I love you, I accept you, I paid the cost, and you no longer have to be afraid. Come be a part of the choir. And so he enters the same space as Isaiah different because of who Christ is. This right now is the same exact way we can approach the throne of God if we have the hand of Christ upon us in the form of his righteousness. And this is where our churches are supposed to live. This is where our families are supposed to live. Your daughter decides she, she's going to have a different worldview or, God forbid, vote different than you. <laughs> You got a household of people all wearing masks except for that one rebellious teenager or vice versa. You show up at church and you're like, what is going on here? I see some people not, some people yes. What's happening? Yes. No. This is where our churches are supposed to go. They're supposed to be a place where people can come and find themselves not up against somebody else's melodia, but against a song they've never heard before that has combined their life and all they are with God and all he is, knowing that he's going to accept and change everything about us. This is two different melodias, the created and the creator, and yet brought together like the opening song to make something new that could not be what it was without the other. And this is what this entire 10-week series has been about. Togetherness with each other and with our creator in life-giving community. The gospel with the ghetto and the ghetto with the gospel. This is all I want my life to be about. And there will be no political ability or religious ability to to accomplish the things the kingdom wants to accomplish if we don't start listening to that music. And it doesn't mean you're right and I'm wrong, and it doesn't mean I'm right and you're wrong. It probably means a whole lot of both. But what I will stand on is this book, which is scripture, this spirit, which I think is, I hope, mending and stirring and convicting within you right now, whether here or watching online. My hope is that you and I could hear a song different than ourselves. That we could be people who serve relentlessly. Not because it feels good, but because we play that part of the song. We could be people who give generously. This is a hard year. And if you have the ability to support through prayer or finances or serving or setting up or, or being a part somehow, you should. Because that's your part of the song. If you're supposed to protect this place, if you're supposed to encourage, maybe you're in a season of healing and all you want to do right now is just figure out how to help, but you're supposed to just sit. Maybe you're in a season where God has called you to a different place. I already mentioned that. It's time for you to go. 
Maybe you've been coming here this whole time and hating it. It's time for you to just get over it. Because this is the best God's got for you. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> I don't know. And it's not my job to know. It's just my job to present to you the idea that your life is supposed to be coupled with my life and every other life in here, not with each other primarily, but with a song above ourselves. For holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Jesus Christ has provided a way for you to transform into a new creature. And no, you don't have to change everything about you. As a matter of fact, most of the time I find he uses that stuff to build a whole new you anchored in stuff that you can't argue with because you did it. And you bless people when their stories collide with your story and they've had the same pain and suffering or made the same mistakes. And all of a sudden, you're part of a family and a community and you love people and they love you. And then you mess it up and you love it anyways. And they mess it up and you love them anyways. And we raise our kids together and then they mess the whole thing up. See, he knows. And then 25 or 30 years from now, there's a generation of young people who've been raised with this higher than melodia and we just give them the whole thing. And we, because we love so well, are forgotten. Not because we didn't do it right, but because we gave credit to Jesus who is the only right. And the kingdom moves forward and we spend eternity with each other and with him apart something better kinder more gentle we feel complete and whole that's the end of the story that's where we're headed that's what we're doing and I'm excited for those of you who are supposed to be here for those who are still in your challenge space hey fight it out wrestle it out. We talked about that a few weeks ago with Jacob. Let's do it. Grab hold of God. He's ready. Bring it. But whatever you do, don't just become empathetic, neutral. Because those are the people that I sit with on their deathbeds and their eyes are full of regret because they didn't take up God's offer on a day like this. Don't do that. Welcome home, whether it's here or where you're going to a song greater than yourself. I'm going to create a space right now. I'm going to let you just say right here in your emotions, I'm going to invite out the worship team and we're just going to close this series reflecting on all that God has done the last few weeks. If you missed some of those, they're all online. Feel free to go back and watch them. I'm blessed to be a pastor here at Kesed and I'm grateful that you're willing to be on the journey with us, with the Holy Spirit. So let's just, let's just lift our voice Let's lift our prayers now. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to just sit with you wherever we are. I pray, God, that as we take just a few minutes to, uh, to feel whatever it is we're feeling, that you would do what you do. That it would not be about the message or the worship. It would be about you and the person in the chair right now, not even the person next to them, just them. And Lord, if there are people in this room who have never fully called you Lord of Lords, I pray that they would, they would put up that simple prayer and just say, God, it's me. I'm tired of running. I accept your sacrifice. Transform me into a new creation. 
if you can, because I've made a lot of mistakes. But I want to belong to you, Lord. I want to be part of the song. There's others in the room, Lord, they've just been playing games with their faith all this time, and I pray that you would meet them where they're at, that today would be a change point, that today would be something new and different and powerful. As you take everything about them, accept it, love it, and change it. We just sit in this time now and let you do what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.
Can we give him praise one more time? Come on. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sticking it out for this series. Remember Palm Sunday next week, and then Easter is upon us in a couple weeks. So enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll see you next time. Have a good day.